0: Bye. <laughs> well, you know, I'm always telling you that parables are funny and they're jokes and all that. This one isn't a joke. This is a really sad one, and it's a true one. But I think most of them are still pretty funny, but not today. So let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit they shall be created, and you shall enter the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle, be our protection against the wickedness and sneers of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. The first reading today is much abbreviated. Uh, once again, I I hate to to go through this, but I think it's useful. You can find the reading of the day easily by going to the USCCB site. That's the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and there you will see a little a little line up at the top with a little calendar. It says daily readings, and then you click on the date. And then if you did it today, the first line would be in big, bold print daily readings. And then there would be a line which had in dark... bold, not quite as bold, March 1st, 2024, and then there's all sorts of options, but then just scroll down, and in big print, Friday of the second week of Lent. Now, this is very interesting or very useful for people who are lectors in church. You will see lectionary, colon, 234. That's that's where read find it, not on page two, 234, but in reading 234, the set of readings number 234. Not the page number, it's the reading number. And you can go right to it. Well, beneath that beneath that, you see reading one, and then you see a line, a dotted line, I think it is. Old eyes, let me put on glasses and make sure. It's not dotted, never mind. But you'll see a line right beneath it that isn't at all bold. And over on the right side, you will see something that looks like a, a chemical formula capital g small n 37 colon 3-4 comma yes you're getting credit for the class uh, 3-4 12 comma 12 that's the citation when you see a comma when you see a dash it's verse 3 to 4 and then the next section 12 to 13a <clears throat> that's verse 12 and 13 the first half of verse then comma, 17B, (laughs) bingo, dash 28, that's those verses, and then A, the first half. But what we're interested in here are the commas. They mean that they have skipped a number of verses for the sake of brevity, usually. I like to click on that and read the whole schmear, because if you click on that and read the whole schmear. Uh, which is a a word for meaning text, you will find out that Joseph, the uh, most beloved son of his father, uh, Israel, remember Israel was the name God gave to Jacob. Joseph was a bit of a jerk. (laughs) I don't know any other way to put it. This is the so go to the whole chapter, the entire chapter thirty seven. Jacob settled in the land where where his father had sojourned, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Uh, let me click on this here. Um This is a wonderful story, just a a, a great story, and it's worth reading in its entirety. When Joseph was 17 years old, he was tending flocks with his brothers. He was an assistant to the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. So we've left out the fact that, yes, Jacob slash Israel really had 12 sons by four women. Uh, so Joseph brought their father bad reports about them. Israel loved Joseph. So he's, he's, he's ratting out his, his half-brothers who have good reason not to like him anyway. Israel loved Joseph best of all his sons. Another strike for Joseph. He was a child of his old age. Uh, he made him a long ornamented tunic. We will talk about the long ornamented t- tunic in the word of the day. When his brothers saw that their father loved him best of all his brothers, they hated him so much they would not say a kind word to him. Well, you know, what you read in the chapter, you're going to sympathize With the brothers, once Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him even more. That's not in today's reading. He said, listen to the dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. My sheaf rose to an upright position, and your sheaves formed a ring about my sheaf and bowed down to it. Well, there's a series of these dreams. The sun and moon and stars are bowing down to me. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, He told this to his father and his brothers. His father reproved him. Uh, his brothers were furious at him. So one day, when his brothers had gone out to pasture uh, the flocks, (coughs) I need to find the cough button here, excuse me. I'm fine. Well, long story short, the brothers get together and decide, let's kill him. I mean, (coughs) he's making us crazy. And one of them realized... Uh, that that um uh, the, one of the brothers realizes we can't kill him um this is Reuben so Reuben says don't shit his love. let's throw him into this uh, cistern over there in the wilderness there's a cistern you know it's kind of a uh, a, a water storage uh, chamber dug into a rock uh, and it's frequently plastered with uh, with non-porous plaster. And, and that's, you know, when it rains in the desert, that's how you collect the water and that's what you drink and give to the flocks. Um, so do not shed blood, throw him into the cistern in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. He was going to come back later and save him and restore him to his father. So Joseph uh, came to his brothers. They took off his tunic and uh, uh, they threw him into the cistern and um, they, they sat down for lunch <laughs> So, looking up, I saw a caravan of Ishmaelites. These are, that would imply they were descendants of Ishmael, relatives of, of uh, these people. I, I'm not sure that these Ishmaelites, What uh, I'm not sure if I won't go into. So, uh, their camels were laden with gum, balm, and resin. Gum, balm, resin. These are just products of trees that are useful. Uh, oh, so not like trident digging, or something? no no they, it, 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 was that live voice in my head
1: he said, yes. not like
0: tried no this was not gum to chew actually they did chew it sometimes there were there were tree saps that were chewed i i it <laughs> doesn't sound good to me well these are useful tree products and uh, some of them were you know used essentially incense which the egyptians used like crazy so um Judah said to his brothers, this is Judah, the ancestor of the Jews. What is, you know, the tribe of Judah, what is to be gained by killing our brother and concealing his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. So he sells them into slavery. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh. In other words, they weren't going to kill him. They weren't going to abandon him to die of hunger and thirst. They were going to sell him. How humane of them. Uh, So the Midianite traders passed by. They pulled Joseph um. So the Midianite and the Ishmaelites seem to be the same people. Midian was uh, uh, a desert people, either in the Sinai or in uh, the Northwestern desert of Saudi Arabia. So they passed by, they pulled Joseph out of the cistern and so they sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites, not 30, but 20 who took him to Egypt. So that's, that's our story here. And, and, um, what they do is they, they take his coat, and uh, um, we'll see in the story, they take his coat, they kill an animal and dip it in blood and take it back to their father to say, we found his coat, clearly he's been eaten by a wild animal in the desert. The brothers are murderous thugs, and Joseph is a jerk who takes his... Uh, position as youngest in the family, or second youngest, he had a brother, Benjamin, a younger brother from the same mother. She died in childbirth, uh, but he was the favorite son of his father, and he just thought it was coming to him. Can you see that? To me, this is a marvel, because scripture is history. These people are the founders of the nation. They are heroes, when we talked about George Washington in, in times past, he was—he never told a lie. His father caught him cutting down a cherry tree and said, Did you cut down my cherry tree? He said, Yes, Father, I cannot lie. And, of course, George Washington was stalwart. So he was a great man. There's no doubt of it. George Washington is one of the greatest men in history uh, because he refused to make himself dictator or king of America. He just wanted to go back to his farm. But we don't talk about the things about George that might not be as pleasant. Uh, and uh, same thing with Abraham Lincoln. Oh, Abraham Lincoln was, I, I'm, I, I think Abraham Lincoln was one of the greatest human beings ever born. But I, I have a great respect for Abraham Lincoln for things other than most people have. He was anything but honest <laughs> uh, in his Individual and personal dealings, he was impeccably honest. But in his politics, he was a shyster lawyer who knew how to get what he wanted. His his law colleague said in Abraham Lincoln, ambition was a little engine that never quit. And I really believe he was very committed to the destruction of slavery. <laughs> but he lied about it until he got into a position where he could do something. I said, well, I don't want to stand in slavery. He wanted to end slavery from his early youth because he felt he had been treated like a slave by his father. So we don't hear that part of Abraham Lincoln. We don't hear those parts of George Washington. But in the Bible, we hear terrible things about the founders of Israel and terrible things about... uh, uh, There's no polishing it up. There's no varnishing the story, which makes me think this is real history. This is not just a hero worship. This is not just imagined... These are details that are not flattering to the heroes of the nation, and I think that they are very genuine. Well, let's move on to the to the uh, <clears throat> the gospel. And again, if you look at the gospel in in uh, bold print and go over once again, this reading has been abbreviated. Uh, so uh, I think it's useful for us to look at the abbreviate or the the text that or the, the parts that have been taken out. Let us look here. We have uh, Matthew t- chapter 21, 33 to 43, and then 45 and 46. So let us move along and we will, where did I put it? Uh, where did I put it? It's right here. Okay, there it is. Um, this is a story of the, the para, or a parable uh, comparison. That's what a parable is. There's a landowner planted a vineyard uh who put a hedge around it dug a wine press in it built a tower then he leased it to the tenants and went on a journey now this this um um the the the, the vineyard is uh, a title of the house of israel that that's what the vineyard refers to in in the text of scripture very interestingly, around the main entrance to the main shrine of the temple, which was a tower, it was huge. This tower was, uh, or this the, the temple, the, the facade of the temple was about 12, 13 stories tall. And according to Josephus, Josephus the front of it was plated in gold, and it was shone so brightly in the morning sun you couldn't look at it in the full light of, of, of the sunrise. More interestingly, around the entrance to this central shrine was a grapevine made of solid gold, and the grapes were solid gold, and they were the size of oranges. That this was a noble act to donate gold to the temple to uh, continue its embellishment. And so, this, this, when Jesus talks about this, this vine, um, Clearly, he's referring to the temple itself, and one of the great messianic uh promises was um the the the, re, the rebuilding the cleansing of the temple, and this follows right on in the Gospel of John, it follows right after Jesus cleansing the temple. Now, I, I mentioned this uh yesterday, I, I don't know if I, I really expounded on it as long as I should have, but. One of the great messianic expectations that the Essenes and the desert sectaries had was the Messiah would cleanse the temple. And this gospel, I believe, is clearly written to the followers of John the Baptist. Uh, The early Christian fathers said that it was written to clarify the relationship of the ministries of John and Jesus. And we see in the second to the last chapter of the gospel, these things have been written so that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah who? The followers of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has people who believe he was, well, I say the Messiah, but strictly speaking, the great prophet. Uh, The the Mandeans, there are about 60,000 of them in the world, uh, lived in the Middle East and have suffered greatly in the wars uh, that have been fought recently. They are a Gnostic sect uh, who still believe that John the Baptist was the big deal. They call him the great prophet, but uh, that's another code word in Hebrew scriptures for the Messiah. So they don't have much regard for Jesus. It's, it's John the Baptist. So we see that there were followers of John the Baptist 20 years after he was executed in Turkey. Uh, in the, we see that in the Acts of the Apostles. So John the Baptist was, was uh, uh, quite probably a leader of one of these desert sects that thought the temple corrupt. And the Gospel of John, I believe, was written. It's so different in its language than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I believe it was directed at the disciples of John and to the other Dead Sea sectaries uh, that that um, were waiting for the Messiah. Uh, and I believe that's why the cleansing of the temple was put at the beginning of the Gospel. Uh, to, it would have interested these people greatly. Now, other scholars, real scholars, say, no, I, I know one great scholar who feels that Jesus must have done this twice. And I, I don't think that could have happened because he would have been killed early on. So I think the author of the Gospel of John is moving this up to interest his, his, his readers uh, because that was one of the big criteria that, that the Messiah would purify the temple. And We read throughout the Gospel of John, John the Baptist saying, I'm not the Messiah, he is. So that's, that's a harebrained theory. Take it with, you got the salt shaker, take it with a large grain of salt. <clears throat> but we see that, that when Jesus, um, it's very interesting, Jesus cleanses the temple and then he curses the fig tree, um, which is interesting because uh, this is a symbol for the temple. It had lots of adornment, but no fruit. This is a prophetic action. He curses the fig tree. This is a symbol of the temple. And then he goes on. They question the authority of Jesus to do these things. And then they talk about John's baptism. Was it heavenly or, or, or was it divine or human? And they, they wouldn't answer because uh, they were afraid of the crowd. And then he talks about the two sons, one of them, <laughs> you know, the uh, 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 those people who um, maintain the temple and strict orthodoxy. And then there are lots of bad people who are being led into heaven before them because they're trusting God, they're believing. Then we come to our parable of the of the tenants. So this is, I know, very complicated, but he's saying this thing. He's talking about the temple, the vineyard. They seized the earth and threw him out of the vineyard. They cast him out of Israel. And um, what do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do when they killed uh, the heir? Uh, um, well, he will put those wretched men to a wretched death. At least the vineyard to other tenants will give them produce at proper times. That's historically exactly what happened. If you understand that the temple is the vineyard and the sh- central shrine is the tower and and uh, this 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 vineyard of the Lord... Was destroyed and taken from the people to whom it had been given, and it was given over to uh, for for uh, five hundred years to to Christians. That that uh, then of course now it is the site of the shrine of of uh, uh, the people of the, of uh, of uh, the East of, of Muslims. So, but this is about the temple. Now I know I'm going long, so you'll forgive me. Jesus said to them, "Did you never read the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone by the Lord has this been done as wonderful in our eyes. Calvary is not a hill. I love the movie risen because they portray Calvary as it probably looked. There was, it was a quarry. So of course it would look like a hill. It was a quarry that was spent. They could, there was no more stone in it, but there was a stone in the middle or just sort of toward the middle and edge that was cracked, and it was it was too st- soft to use for building stones, so they quarried around it. And it was a stone rejected, and it was called Calvary, That is the place on or before which criminals were executed uh, by by the Romans.. Uh, and it was it was not in a hill far away. It was right outside one of the main gates of Jerusalem. Romans did, want, did not want to waste a good crucifixion. They wanted you to know if you crossed Rome, this is what happened to you. And, and um, this, this you can, if you go to Jerusalem today, you find a place called the Chapel of Adam. It's underneath the Chapel of Calvary, and you can see the crack in the rock. They attributed it to the earthquake, but really it was just because the rock was soft. So Calvary was literally a stone rejected. It has become the cornerstone of the new temple of the Lord, the church. So I know this is a little complicated, but Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. He is prophesying the destruction of the temple, and he is prophesying the the uh, the the coming of of fulfillment of of. of the prophecies uh, about about the universality of god's love for people. So this is a little complicated I know but well <laughs> to expect anything else that said let us go to a break we'll come back with a letter or two and uh, um and we'll open the phones. The phones are open. will be open or are open at 888-914-9149. 888 914 888 Call in. How I love my coat of many colors.
2: It was red and yellow and green and brown and scarlet and black.
0: Thanks to network sponsor PushPay. Pushpay offers Parish as a platform for tracking donations and sacraments, overseeing schedules, mobile apps to help manage your administrative load, and much more. Info at RelevantRadio.com slash Pushpay. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Pushpay. Oh, another great old hippie song. I bag, I'm just wondering how the voice in my head, who's significantly hide. younger than I am, knows all these but hippie I songs. But moving along, inside, let us now go to just a couple of few letters, letters because because um, I talked a lot. All right, let's see here. Uh, that's, what is this? Now, this is uh, uh, somebody called in and asked a question. I think it was called in. And was it really Mary Magdalene in the story of the perfume? I don't recall the connection. And you're wise to not recall, uh, the collection. Um, this is from the Eucharistic encounter. Only Judas complained. The connection wasn't made uh, between, uh, there, there are a number of women who are conflated together. And that didn't happen till a sermon by Pope Gregory, I think it was in the 500s. Um, that there was the woman caught in adultery. There was Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven demons had been cast. There was a woman who came in and washed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. And uh, they said, "What sort?" Of, they know what sort of woman is touching him. And then there was um, uh, the, the woman who broke the expensive alabaster that was worth 300 days wages for a working man. It was incredibly expensive stuff. It was genuine nard, which was a, 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 a plant essence that was imported from the Himalaya Mountains. I mean, this was a big deal. So was it really Mary Magdalene, the story of the perfume? Probably not. But, you know, as I always say, I wasn't there. Um, that all of those women were conflated together in a sermon by Pope Greg. I believe Pope Gregory the Great. So I hope that answers your question there. Uh, though Mary Magdalene, she w- was liberated from, from five hundred or, or or what how many demons was it? Seven demons, a whole bunch of demons. Let's see here, um, let's see here. I I I, I answered this. Uh, there's a question uh, in one of the me- uh, Eucharist encounter messages. Do we? The beating of our chest, do we do it once across our chest or three times saying through my fault? I've always done it three times, but again, it's a custom, not a rule. It's a custom. And I think you, you, you got to get the idea of that. Okay. Uh, and this is also uh, regarding um, the uh, the Eucharistic encounter videos, which are really good. You need to look at them. Um, Interesting talks about prayers. Yesterday on one of the programs, uh, someone wrote in questioning the priests that say the prayer to St. Michael at the end of Mass or the priests that add a Hail Mary to the Mass. Also, you're teaching today about the Confidio prayer. Um, Father Jim only uses the Confidio rarely during the year, but when I'm in Philadelphia, they say it always. This is a kind of new thing since the liturgical reforms after the Vatican Council. Everybody calls this the Mass of Vatican II. It's not. It's liturgical reform. Uh, if you look at what Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document on the liturgy, says about the Mass, the Mass would not have changed a great deal, but the liturgical movement kind of took the ball and ran with it uh, and leaves us a lot of options. You don't have to say the Confidure. You can substitute other prayers that are in the book for it. I tend to use the Confidure. Now, the Prayer to St. Michael at the end of the Mass, it's not part of Mass, but uh, it was uh, those are part of what's called the leonine prayers pope leo the 13th i believe it was was in his chapel and had a vision uh, of the devil i don't want to go into it but um, the, the he uh, he well it was, he was told in it was revealed to him by the lord that the 20th century would be the devils century and um, i think the case can be made now we're in the 21st century and we're still suffering the the, the terrible heritage of the 20th century. So um, uh, the, uh, uh, he, in, he initiated prayers, to be said, at the end of Mass, one of which was St. Michael the Archangel. And it fell into abeyance after the uh, uh, council and the liturgical reform. But I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, which is voice in my head, I believe that the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops a few years ago, recommended that we say the prayer to St. Michael again. I think that, that that was a recommendation of the USCCB, and uh, it's said in a lot of places. I never let it in the parish, that, which I was pastor, St. Lambert's, Well, why, someone came up to me and said, Father, you should lead the prayer to St. Michael. I said, I'm not going to lead the prayer to St. Michael. Why do you don't? Oh, I love the prayer to St. Michael. I say it all the time. Well, why won't you lead it? Because when I go, it will stop. And so the congregations themselves let it. So I would encourage you, if you want the prayer to St. Michael said after Mass, say it. Unless the pastor says, I don't want that said. Then, you know, obedience is pleasing to God. But I I believe it's a powerful prayer and uh, should be said. uh, Unless your priest is against it or, you know, always obey your bishop. So, uh, But yeah, I I, I never led the prayer to St. Michael. And I try to avoid leading it now. People think I don't like it. I love it and say it, as you know, at the beginning of the show. And I say it a few times a day. Uh, But um, if you wait for the pastor or the priest to start it, when that pastor or priest is replaced by someone else, well, the prayer might stop. So that's my theory. Again, rebellion is not a good thing. So obey your pastor. But if he doesn't mind you starting it, do it. All right. Okay, we're going to take a uh, a break, um, and we'll come back with a word of the day, which is a strange and unedifying word of the day. Uh, but uh, you can call in. The phones are open at 888 9149 That's 888-914-9149. And stump the Reverend Know-It-All, a task much easier than you might think.
1: Father Simon says... I
0: was reading a sign over here, Dracula's Legend. All of a sudden I heard, Eargh! That's a win.
1: I should get
0: oiled. On Relevant Radio. Join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Chonstojova, and the infant child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com Poland. That's relevantradio.com Poland. you roll up in a new, new town. And everything at arm's length. Just when you're
1: about to settle down, you go look for the next best thing. You can get on down that road again. It ain't gonna keep you satisfied. Leaving all the good stuff in the past, always
0: chasing that greater grass. Well, so, I guess nice song. Um, just a, a little mention that the the I I don't know that the USCCB recommended it. If if they did, I'd like to know. But it's interesting. uh, Pope John Paul, Saint John Paul, uh, the Great, I think, um, uh, recommended it again and said, though the prayer is no longer recited at the end of Mass, I ask everyone not to forget it and to recite it to obtain help in battle. But interestingly, Pope Francis, in September of 2018, asked Catholics everywhere to pray the Rosary and the prayer to Saint, the Leinine Prayer to Saint Michael. and so it has made a return. When I was a kid, it was always prayed at Mass. It was mandated. It is no longer mandated, but it is not. it was never forbidden, apparently, and um, uh, has been recommended by the past two popes. So, um, you know, but again, I, I mean, uh, the devil's very happy if you get into an argument with your pastor about it. If the pastor says, I don't want that prayer said after the Mass, you can kneel and say it. Quietly yourself and obey him, because the devil really enjoys it when we get into a a tiff within the church. All right, that said, let us now go to phone calls. Oh no, the word of the day, the word of the day. No, no, the word of the day. We forgot the word of the day. The word of the day is. You may have noticed that in the first reading that it is not called a coat of many colors. It is called a long tunic. And it's kind of complicated because the word in, in Hebrew is a ketonet, or a ketonet, which is a tunic. And what in the name of sweet heavenly glory is a tunic? Well, a tunic is a loose garment that is often sleeveless, sometimes has sleeves. It goes to the wearer's knees worn in ancient Greece and Rome and it may be gathered with a belt that's a tunic it's a loose kind of overshirt like a sort of caftan or poncho it it it, uh, it it usually goes down to the wearer's knees but this one very interestingly the Hebrew word here is um Let me find it. Okay. I got to back up the press there. It's, it's, I've got it. I've got it. I've got, I really do have it. I pulled this up. It's, um, uh, uh, it's a, um, uh, uh, it's called pasim in Hebrew, which means going, that, that can be translated as, as long, uh, it has to do with the width of the palm or the flat of the foot or the flat of the palm. In other words, it went down, not just pat to his elbows, it went down to his palms and, and was longer than, than, uh, than expected. So that is an accurate translation. However, the Septuagint, which is a commentary in a way, uh, the Septuagint is the Greek version of the Hebrew scriptures written a couple centuries before Christ. And that implied that that it was, uh, uh, the word is poikilos, which means variegated. In other words, it was a a, a richly woven garment. It was kind of a, a garment that was very expensive, and that would imply being multicolored. And then when it gets into the, the, the Latin translation, into the Vulgate St. Jerome's translation, it is, it, it is polymitos, which implies... Woven uh, uh, with many threads and implying that they're different colored. So, you know, it kind of comes to shock. Wasn't it a many colored coat? It was. But the word possum uh, talks about the richness of it and the length of it. You see, cloth was very expensive. It had to be homemade and handmade. Uh, A wealthy man might just have a few different changes of clothes. And a poor man only one. Uh, cloth was very valuable. That's why the soldiers uh, cast lots for the, the, the cloth that made up the garments of Jesus. And they, they were divided along the seams, but uh, his, his, uh, his mantle uh, was seamless, so they didn't want to rip it. You know, his, his outer robe was, was just one, one piece of cloth, and they didn't want to rip it. So uh, there you go. That's, I thought you'd want to know what a tunic is. Wait, honey, I've got to get my tunic on. Um, we no longer use the word. And, yeah, it's pretty funny. The, uh, um, the, the the many-coloredness of it is implied by the richness of the garment, and thus the translators of the Septuagint talked about it as variegated, which means made with different colored threads. And uh, in the Vulgate, it is pretty clearly... Uh, uh, many colored. At any rate, I don't know if that does you any good, but I thought I'd leap into that controversy. That said, let's go to uh, phone calls. Now we can go to the phone calls. Why can you ask me a little
1: easy question? I Will you answer it? A tiny one.
0: Yeah, that's that's a tiny one. Alonso, what can I do for you? Hi, Father. I wanted to know when Moses led the people out of Egypt, did some
1: people decide to stay? Like, did they have families with, uh, did they coexist with the Egyptians before they were slaves and they decided to stay?
0: You know, the Bible doesn't mention it at all. Um, they would probably not have had relations, uh, family with Egyptians. They, they didn't really coexist. They really were okay. different people. Looking at the historical record, you know, it's very, it's very complicated uh, because people said that there was no, no uh, uh, mention of the Exodus in, in, in Egyptian historical literature. But that's not true. There was a priest called Manetho, an Egyptian priest a few centuries before Christ, who did talk about a, a leprous people who were cast out of Egypt. Uh, and uh, he seems to be describing the Exodus. But that seems, by his description... To have taken a long time, there was initial an initial group, and then there there were people who dribbled out of Egypt after that. So perhaps that's true, but the Bible makes no mention of it, and we have no clear historical mention of it. Uh, right. The Bible presents the Exodus as uh, something that happened over the course of of a little more than 40 years, whereas. Mm-hmm. Manetho seems to imply it took a long time, it, it, but uh-huh. th- there were there were Canaanite peoples and Semitic peoples who dominated the north of Egypt, and they were uh, they were defeated by the indigenous Egyptians. Uh, so I doubt that there would have been much intermarriage between the two groups. Um, okay. So I don't know if that answers your okay. question. No, good one. That's, All right, that's a good one, Father. Yeah, I, I love it's your music. Thank you very much. Yeah, the music is good, even even though the talks are confusing. But uh yeah, look oh, up Manetho, M A N E T H O Manetho in the Exodus. Yeah, uh, that's it's interesting. Let's go to okay, Suzanne great, Father, from Kentucky God bless Alonso. Let's go to Suzanne from Kentucky.
2: Hi, Father Simon. Thank you for taking my call.
0: You're I welcome. had a
2: question about Mark 125. And it's okay. talking about St. Joseph taking Mary for his wife, and it says, Mm -hmm. but he engaged in no marital relations with her until she gave birth to the son whom they Mm -hmm. named Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then in the footnote, it says, the the Hebrew word until neither implies nor excludes marital Mm -hmm. conduct after Jesus' birth. And I've always believed that Mary was a virgin from the beginning and still is. And
0: And this Cast doubt. Well, it doesn't cast doubt because you look at the rest of Scripture and it is pretty clear that Jesus had no uh, brothers in the sense that we know them. The people are called brothers of Jesus. In one place they seem to be his cousins. uh, And to me the clear proof that... Jesus may have had people who are called brothers. And in the East, they talk about children of Joseph from a first marriage. There's old literature about that. In the West, we tend to believe that Joseph had no other children. But that aside, there could be brothers of Jesus in the sense of cousins or half-brothers who were not children of Mary. And Mary stands alone at the foot of the cross. None of the so-called brothers of Jesus were there. And she spent the rest of her life, the Bible says, with John, the beloved disciple. And if she had had other children, she would have been their legal responsibility. Uh, and there were none there. That implies that our Blessed Mother had no other children. And the, there was there were no other children who took over the, 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 the direction of the religion. Now, James, one of the Jameses, James the Lesser who was apparently a relative of Jesus. They were, Many people thought he should run things, but no, he didn't. Peter did. Does that help a little? Oh, it helps
2: a whole lot. Thank you so much.
0: Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, and, and that word, in you know, it says uh, about uh, the daughter of Saul, Michal, who married uh, uh, David. David had a, an argument with her, and the Scripture says she bore no children, until she died, does that imply she had some after? (laughs) You know that uh uh, that's it's the same exact word in both Hebrew and in the Greek translation of the scriptures. I see okay. uh, There you go. Thank you. All right. Well God bless. All right. Thank you. And I'm honored you listen. All right. Let us go now to uh bye bye. Let's go to Rosa. Rosa from Brooklyn. Thank you, Father Simon, for
1: taking my call. I wanted to ask you uh, something that's been on my mind, and I'm asking several people because I really need uh, a a good answer. Um, After you bless the house with the holy water and a Mm -hmm. deacon comes over, does the prayers, but there still might be, you know, like an eerie feeling, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, in the house. Now, Uh I know somebody that wants to also cleanse the house with sage
0: don't do it don't
1: do, don't it. Okay. do
0: it don't do it because you know um, uh, it's it, the problem with with any kind of occult practice is I'm in control you know Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because she wanted to be in control. Um, she didn't, she didn't want to be the child of God. She wanted to be God's friend and equal. She wanted to know things without God telling her. And that's the problem with using any kind of magic. We want to take power okay. over these things yeah, yeah. and and faith is I'm trusting God in this. What I would recommend, if it still has an eerie feeling, say the rosary, invite people over to say, to say a rosary. You want to make the devil uncomfortable. That's that's how this works. And 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 if you if you uh, do things that that are occult in a sense, you're in, you're inviting him back. So that I wouldn't I would I would say trust God, say the Rosary, and uh, uh, you know uh, use the other Yeah, What about the
1: uh, doing the incense? Doing incense, you know, like burning
0: incense in our house? Nah, why bother? Unless you like the smell of incense, devil doesn't mind incense. I
1: love
0: it. Yeah. Well, you can burn if it reminds you of the lord then then it might help. But but in the pagan temples they burned incense all the time and the early christians believed the gods of the pagans were in fact devils. So devil doesn't mind incense, you know. But if, oh, if that burning of incense is a prayer uh you know, the, 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 the prayers of the saints, the scripture says, go up to heaven like incense. If it reminds you of the presence of, of our Lord, then it's a fine thing. But to have it work kind of as an automatic uh, uh, superstitious medicine, that doesn't do anything. So I hope that helps a little bit, Rosa. Thank
1: you. Thank you, you right? Father Simon. God bless you. Thank you so thank much. Thank
0: you. God bless. You're welcome. Let's go to Jim, okay. who's calling in from Skokie, beautiful Skokie, where I was for so many years. Is this the Jim I know? This is the Jim you know. Uh, God bless you oh, and your ministry, Father. Thank you. Good to hear your voice. What can I do for you? I just want to let you know that the practice that you started of saying uh, of uh, saying the
1: uh, uh, prayer to St. Michael and the rosary after Mass still continues to
0: this day. Well, I didn't start it. <laughs> the parishioners started it and I joined them. So there you go. And that really is true. I don't, I, I'm trying to remember the exact parishioner who said, Why don't we say the prayer? St. Michael, I said, Because you don't start it. And they said, You're supposed to. I said, No, I'm not. You do it. and We'll, do, we'll pray it. So uh, I'm, I'm glad. And I, they threw in the Hail Mary. That's even better. Uh, you know, and those are after the Mass. They're, you know, we're not adding them to the Mass. They're right. after the mass is done, and I think that that's fine, uh, but again, it's what the pastor wants. And from what I hear, my successors at Saint Lambert's are are great, are great priests. So they are I'm, indeed; I'm, they are they are real, real priests, real good men. So I'm I'm grateful that the Lord has has continued that and that he's taken care of taking care of the sheep. Now that I'm now that I'm out in pasture, so well, it's good to hear your voice, Jim, and say hello to friends back in at Saint Lambert's. All right will do see what you started Uh, oh god bless i'm 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 delighted to hear you hope Uh, hope to see at some point soon who knows god bless god God bless you and your ministry father thank you let's go to lynn who's calling in from westchester new york lynn are you there yeah hi how you doing
2: father Pretty good. What can I do for you? Good. I have a question, Father. I'm, I'm a cradle Catholic, and I was always wondering why they call it
0: Roman Catholic Church when the Romans killed Christ. <laughs> well, uh, the, 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 the reason is because we're affiliated with the Bishop of Rome. And that term didn't come into use until... Until the Protestant Reformation, because there were people claiming to be well, we're Catholics, but we're not affiliated with Rome. And you know, we said no, we're we're Roman Catholics, and we're affiliated with the Bishop of Rome. And you can't really be a member of a universal church uh, without that affiliation. We believe, um, so um, that's why we call ourselves Roman Catholics to say that we really are members of a, a universal church that respects. The, the 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 role that Jesus gave to Saint Peter and his successors, that's why we call ourselves Roman Catholics. We haven't always just for the past five hundred years, so it's kind of recent.
2: Okay, thanks. Does that help and one more. Can I? Yes, it does. Thank sure. You, and ask another. I ask one another question. Again. Sure. Okay. Okay. So now, when Christ appeared to Thomas, doubting Thomas, and um, Mary Magdalene, um, Thomas felt the wound. But then, mm-hmm. Mary went to touch it, and he said, "No, don't touch it until I've ascended to the Father."
0: Well, you know? the the I, I talked about, this, I think, was it yesterday that you have a form of the verb in Greek which is continuous. In other words, do it and keep doing it till I tell you to stop. And that's that's what Jesus used. He says, "Stop, stop touching me." My idea is that Mary Magdalene is there poking him because, is this real? <laughs> And uh, and the disciples who thought he was a ghost, he said, touch me. Mary Magdalene said, Stop touching me and go tell the guys I'll be there. That's that's how I read that passage. He wasn't saying to Mary, Don't touch me. He was saying, Don't keep touching me. Go. I want you to tell my brothers I'll meet them in Galilee. But he had to meet them in Jerusalem. Speaking of meeting in Galilee and/or Jerusalem, you can meet the Lord on the Drew Mariani show.